Hey everybody, glad you could tune in today, um, wherever you're watching, whenever you're watching. Um, our world has changed twice in the last three months, twice, and they are generational defining changes. Uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter, referring to COVID-19, said something like, we're living in history, and uh, little did she know that it would happen again with the killing of George Floyd. And uh, just to see these things and how they've impacted the world so dramatically, so drastically, in sometimes positive ways, sometimes negative ways, very polarizing ways, um, it is a lot of ground shifting under our feet. And we can trust God through this. And I'm praying that a lot of good comes out of everything that we're experiencing. Uh, but just understand, church, that you, are, you have gone through two generational defining moments in the last three months. Uh, many of you know that we have a sister church, the Minneapolis Church of Christ, and uh, they took on a massive food distribution program uh, after COVID-19 became a thing. There were a lot of families who uh, were struggling with finances and food, and so they took on this opportunity to serve their community, and then it really took off in the aftermath of George Floyd's killing, and of course the riots. It shut down a lot of grocery stores, and it created a food desert uh, in some of their neighborhoods, and so they are serving tons of families who are out of work whose grocery stores are closed. And uh, a number of us from Woodbury have been able to go over and help volunteer. We we're over there the last few weekends pitching in. Um, and if you would like to help, this is a good um, way to do that. You can reach out to our church office and we can get you in touch with the right people and give you a little bit more information about that. But we would love to serve our brothers and sisters and what they are doing over at Minneapolis Central in that way. All right, so for the last uh, about four weeks, we've been discovering um, this, uh, this concept of trust or exploring this concept, concept of trust, and uh, we've been kind of breaking it down into questions. So, you know, for example, the first week we talked about, am I trusting God, you know, as we navigate life? Am I actually allowing God to do uh, what he needs to do? And I'm following after that. Um, but then the following week, we explored the question, can I trust God? I mean, is God trustworthy? And of course, I know this is a sermon at a church, and the answer is going to be yes, but I think it's more nuanced and it takes a little bit more um, complexity as we think about that question. Uh, last week, we, asked, we, told, we told you that the biggest challenge to trusting God is actually not trusting ourselves. Uh, so we have to ask ourselves in the midst of some of these issues, am I trusting myself rather than God? Now, when we're talking about this question of trust, there is one issue that is going to come up. We're going to be inevitably drawn to a particular question. You may or may not have like clearly articulated it in your mind, but it's a question that you're going to want to explore. It's a question you've wondered about whether or not you're going to use the same words uh, that I'm going to use. Um, now, right now in our, uh, in our country, delivery trucks, FedEx, UPS, all those guys, they are everywhere because people are shopping online more frequently and having everything delivered. Uh, so you may have heard this, and I thought this was kind of fascinating, but you may have heard that UPS, the big brown trucks, they uh, plot their delivery routes around and they avoid making left turns if at all possible. So a UPS truck will literally turn uh, three right turns instead of one left turn. They will even go in the opposite direction of their destination to avoid making that left turn. 
Now, the reason is, is because left turns, especially as you cross traffic, are significantly more dangerous. And every time a truck gets involved in some accident, that truck, of course, is out of commission. Of course, there's, you know, a danger to the drivers and uh, of both vehicles. Um, and so there's a big loss of money. And what UPS found was that by just predetermining that their trucks were, were just going to make right turns instead of left turns, they saved millions in costs. They delivered more packages and they're just much more efficient because they pre-made this one decision. So every time their drivers come to an intersection, they don't have to debate which way they're they going to go and they go, they're not, they're not going to go left. They're going to go right. Now, I, I, I tell you that because in a typical day, we are navigating hundreds of choices, hundreds of turns, hundreds of crossroads, and we don't stop at every crossroads and decide which way are we going to go. We don't think through the pros and cons of each choice because we have made pre-made choices and we just apply them to the decisions that we're, we find ourselves in. So we have these implicit value judgments and they have already made the decision for us. It's kind of our personal uh, version of the no left turn UPS policy. Let me give you a couple of examples. Um, this one's personal to me. Uh, well, not personal in an emotional sense, but just I'm the one that does it. Uh, so Corrine will tell you, if I pull into a store and I see a long line at that store, I'm out. I don't stick around. I don't wait in the line because I would rather not have whatever it is than wait in line to get it. Now, I'm not consciously making that decision. If I pull in line somewhere and I say, oh, man, the people are around the block, I just turn around and go somewhere else or go home. Most people, when they pull into a store, they don't even think about where they're going to park. They just typically pull into the closest spot available to the door. The value judgment applied to that moment is that closer is better. Uh, most people take the shortest route to their destination. I don't understand this exactly, but like if you use your GPS on your phone, it will sometimes offer you an alternative route or to alternative route that's longer. Do you want to take this longer route? No, of course not. I want to take the shortest, quickest route. I don't stop and really consider the ins and outs and pros and cons and weigh the decision. I just want the shortest route because I have pre-made that choice and I just apply that choice to every decision I'm dealing with. So it's not like we're doing this this point-by-point point analysis. We've just pre-made the choice. We map those choices on to our lives to kind of make navigating our lives more simple. One of the pre-made decisions that all of us have, or many of us have, to navigate life, and it's this question of trust that we're exploring today, is this question. Will this lead to happiness? Will this lead to happiness? Now, I understand you don't necessarily think of that, that in those terms, but we rarely make decisions that we think will lead to unhappiness or long-term unhappiness. So break down this sentence just with me for a second. So will this, will this purchase, this relationship, this job, this hobby, this book, this diet, going to this party, binging this Netflix show, buying this car, will this lead to happiness. And when I say lead to, I use that word or that phrase because I think most of us understand that happiness may not be right around the corner, but it's down the road. And so maybe we make decisions to go running or to, to forego that extra donut because we know that we will be happier with that decision down the road, even if it's not like an immediate satisfaction. So it won't be this particular decision, but it leads to something that may lead to happiness. 
And then finally, happiness. I mean, I, I feel like it's a little ridiculous, kind of like Vince Lombardi holding up the football to the NFL player saying, this is a football. But happiness does need some definition because I'm not sure that we have a good idea of what it is. It's one of those things where we know it when we see it or maybe we're more aware of it when we don't have it. But it's this fundamental, deep, ingrained human desire. And honestly, I think we have to be uh, really upfront. Even thinking about the idea of happiness can bring up feelings and emotions of pain. Because some of you are thinking, happiness? I'm not worried about happiness. I'm just trying to survive. I'm struggling. This is hard. I don't know what's going on with my life. So happiness feels like some far-off luxury for people that don't have the real problems that you're dealing with. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, one of the struggles with happiness is that this whole issue is complicated by Christians who have argued that, well, actually, Christians shouldn't pursue happiness. Rather, we should pursue joy. They say joy, uh, happiness is about what is happening, and joy should exist outside of our happenings. And I've heard thousands of sermons that talk about this. Happiness is temporary, and joy is eternal. The joy comes from God. Happiness comes from just the regular old stuff of life. And so, in some sense, they may even say that happiness is antithetical to Christianity, but joy is where it's at. And I get all of that. I totally understand exactly what they're saying. But that is not the way the Bible distinguishes those concepts. If you open up your scripture, if you open up a biblical lexicon, if you talk to biblical translators, they'll use all these words interchangeably. You'll see gladness and pleasure and delight and joy and happiness all mixed up and used the same way. Uh, whether the, the connotations are positive or negative. And I have a long list of quotes that I was going to include from teachers and translators, and I realized you'd be bored. So if you're interested, email me, and I'll let you know what those are. But Scripture doesn't distinguish between the feelings, but it distinguishes between the means of achieving happiness or joy. And I'm harping on this, but I, you're going to see why in just a little bit. But I think we all kind of understand that when we talk about happiness, what we're saying is that soul-filling sense of satisfaction and contentment. That, that's what we're talking about. You may recall, if you've been following along with this series, we explored the word shalom, the Hebrew word shalom from a few weeks ago. And the word is this idea that your life, like everything feels it's like it's complete and nothing is missing. And that's what, that's the idea of happiness scripture tries to convey. So, it could be lying in a hammock, but it also could be that feeling of just like a job well done. It, might, it makes you happy. You're tired and exhausted at the end of the day, but you're happy. This is why you can feel happy after spending all day wearing yourself out, helping someone, and you can feel unhappy after spending a day just lying around. Because happiness is that, that sense of completeness. It doesn't mean there's not tragedy or sadness or difficulty in your life, but it does mean that we, ha we feel uh, that sense of contentment and satisfaction with where we are and who we are and what we're doing. Now, in fact, the more you read about happiness in Scripture, the more you realize that it's often found down pathways we did not think that would lead to happiness. It's one of the revelations of Scripture is that, that it's always trying to tell us happiness is down this road, and we're always thinking, no, that can't be right. That's, that, that doesn't seem intuitive. And so we're asking this question, will this lead to happiness? 
Now, this is an incredibly relevant question to the text that we have been using for this series. Hopefully, you have it memorized by now, but it's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. It starts off by saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. So that's that question. Am I and can I trust God? And then it says, and lean not on your own understanding. And that's what we talked about last week. Don't trust yourself. Because we have all these bad ideas about what will lead to happiness. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In other words, you have to build that trust of God into every choice. You have to map that on. That's that no left turns policy. You have to map trust into every choice. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your paths straight. It's the promise out of that proverb. So as we explore this question, I think we actually have to back up a step and we have to think about something that's kind of important. And again, it's going to feel fundamental and it will almost feel like a rhetorical question. I think it's fair to ask, does God even care about my happiness? Is that, and what I mean by that, is that a fair expectation to have of this relationship with God? For example, if, uh, if you're a student in a class and the teacher walks in and says, hey, pop quiz today, the student's grown, that doesn't make us happy, and the teacher might say, well, I am not here to make you happy. I am here to teach. I'm not called a happy maker. I am called a teacher. Or if you're a judge or if you're before a judge sentencing a criminal for a crime and the criminal says, I am not happy with that sentence. I'm not happy with that prison time. The judge might say, well, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to enact justice. Now, our idea of who God is really comes into focus as we explore this question of will this make me happy or is God going to provide for my happiness? Many times growing up, I heard preachers and teachers say something to the effect of, God isn't focused on your happiness. He's focused on your obedience. Happiness versus holiness. Happiness will lead you to make bad choices, but holiness and obedience, that will lead you to follow God. So I actually kind of grew up with this suspicion and sometimes still wrestle with this idea that if I was pursuing something that made me happy, that meant I was pursuing something sinful. Now, of course, I still did what made me happy. I just felt guilty about it. I felt guilty about doing something that made me or led to happiness. Now, my understanding of God's identity was one kind of like a judge or a teacher. He wasn't there to enact or bring about my happiness. He was there to teach or he's there to judge or I'm there to obey. Now, I, I, the problem is, is my imposing my expectations of happiness onto my faith just felt like it didn't work. And then, you know, in Christianity, people will say things like, well, you may be miserable, but at least you have the joy of the Lord. And it's just such a weird dichotomy to think that this joy of the Lord wouldn't be something that we would actually experience in our lives. But that was the message that I was given. Now, it is very true that we are extremely bad at knowing what will actually make us happy. Um, and we're tempted to pursue happiness in very wrong ways. And we'll talk about that in a second. But it's a far cry from, from that to say God doesn't care about our happiness. Now, I want you to look at that proverb, that chapter that we're exploring. We're exploring Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, but back up to Proverbs 1 and 2, where he says, My son, do not forget my teaching and keep my commandments in your heart. Well, well why? Verse 2, for they will prolong your life many years. 
Well, that sounds good. That sounds like something that would make me happy. And they will bring you peace and prosperity. Well, that sounds really good. That really sounds like something that would make me happy. And then it goes on. Jump down to verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't trust your own ideas or pathways to happiness. Fear the Lord and shun evil. In other words, evil will never lead you to happiness. Verse 8, this will bring health to your body. Well, health, that's something that would make me happy. And nourishment to your bones. I don't know exactly what that means, but that sounds good too. Now, remember, the Proverbs are guidelines, not guarantees, right? They're, they're telling you this is generally how your life will go if you follow these principles. So he's not saying that if you're ever sick, it means that you're evil. He's just saying that generally speaking, if you want health and happiness and peace and prosperity, you head this way, the way that God is telling you to. But, it, but keep going. There's more. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruit of your crops. Well, wait a second. That doesn't seem like that would make me happy. But verse 10, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. And who doesn't want overflowing barns, right? We all do. And your vats will brim over with new wine. Now, our ideas of the good life are probably different than they were 3,000 years ago. But what he's doing is outlining the path to satisfaction and contentment and happiness. Now, if you're not convinced yet that God cares about your happiness, look at verse 13, still in the same chapter, chapter 3. Blessed, by the way, blessed literally means happy, are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver. Well, silver would make a lot of people happy and yields better returns than gold. Well, gold's even better than silver. Verse 15, she is more precious than rubies. I don't know, maybe people like rubies, but nothing you desire compared to her. It is wisdom, the path of God that will lead to happiness. Wisdom is better than all those things you thought would bring you happiness. Why? Because unlike silver and gold and rubies, you, it actually will lead you to happiness. Jim Carrey uh, had this great quote where he says he wished everyone could be rich and famous so they realize those things don't make you happy. Because we, we just tend to think that that's where it's at. But even going on, verse 16, long life is in her right hand. That's wisdom, the her personified as a female. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. And then in verse 18, it wraps up by saying this, she, wisdom, is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed or happy. Here's the thing. If we are not aware that God deeply cares about our happiness, then we are not hearing what he says. We're not listening to him because we serve a God who is very concerned about our well-being and our peace and our happiness. Now, you may be thinking, okay, that's Old Testament, and sometimes the Old Testament's a little weird, and so I just like to stick to the New Testament. Well, great, that's wonderful. In fact, if you go to the New Testament, Jesus addressed this issue head-on. He spoke in his manifesto, the most comprehensive collection of his teachings. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the manifesto of Christ. He, he said, how does that start? What is the first word in the Sermon on the Mount? Now, it literally starts with the Greek word for happy. Now, most translations today, if you're looking in your Bible and you're like, wait a second, I see the word blessed. And that's how you know you're really religious and spiritual if you emphasize the ED, blessed. But happy are the poor in spirit. That's the literal translation. Happy are those who mourn. Happy are the meek. That's Matthew 5, 3 and on. Now, some of you are thinking, well, that doesn't sound right to use the word happy in that context. 
Exactly. That's the entire point Jesus is making. Here's the claim. He is saying that happiness is not the result of a life free from pain or hurt or full of power and influence and riches. He's saying happiness is the result of these counterintuitive means that require trust in God to pursue. Here's what Jesus is saying, that God has the map to happiness and we are not asking him for directions. And worse, we're convinced we know the way. Have you ever been a passenger in the car of somebody who thought they knew they were going and you were pretty sure they were going the wrong way? That's us. For me, a great illustration of this and really everything in life and the Bible is kids. Um, let me say something to kids. So kids, if you're watching, uh, this is for you. Um, and this is going to sound absolutely backward to you, but I guarantee you this is true. It makes your parents happy to make you happy. Yeah, that's what I said. It actually makes your parents happy to make you happy. Their happiness is often defined by your happiness. Now, some of you are thinking, hold up, mister. I don't know if you still say mister, but some of that you are thinking that. And you're thinking, oh, okay, that's a, that's a nice thought. It sounds good. It sounds like something my parents might say, but it doesn't match my experience because they make me go to school. And school does not make me happy. And they schedule me for dentist appointments. And dentist appointments do not make me happy. And they take me to the doctor to get shots. And shots do not make me happy. So, based on my experience, my happiness is clearly not their top priority. I hear you. I totally hear you. But listen, they, believe it or not, are a little smarter than you. And they are looking at the bigger picture. They know that. Further down the road, if you need a root, root canal or, or you contract smallpox, that would make you really unhappy. So what they're doing is they are ensuring your long-term happiness. I mean, if my eight-year-old were trying to map the path to his own happiness, if he were determining his own decisions, it would be ice cream for breakfast, candy for lunch, diabetes by dinner, because those are the choices that he would make. But God has granted him parents who are doing their best, and we're going to pull back on that because we are thinking about him not just at eight, but at 10, 12, 15, 20, 80 that's what parents are thinking about. And if you imagine God as an eternal father who sees the whole scope of things, it's no wonder that he points us in different directions than what we think will make us happy. When we trust God, this path that appears to lead to pain turns out to lead to happiness because God is smarter than us. God is wiser, as the Proverbs would say, than us. Let's deal with something, deal with something very real, because some of you are thinking, okay, that's great, but if God cares so much about my happiness and I'm not happy, are you saying it's my fault? Is it my problem that I've got this chronic condition or I've inherited this problem where I was raised in this situation that makes life very difficult and unhappy? Well, this topic could be a whole thesis, but let's just use the parent analogy again, just real briefly. I love my kids and I want them to be happy. But sometimes they fall and skin their knees, or sometimes they fall and break their arms. I don't want that to happen, but sometimes that happens. Sometimes they don't make the basketball team, or they don't get cast in the play. Sometimes they have 
other kids who interact with them and say very mean and terrible and rude things. In fact, I am not sure you have actually had the experience of being a parent unless you have been incredibly furious at some 10-year-old for what they did or said to your child. And sometimes our children even introduce their own happiness, unhappiness into their lives, and we have to try to work them out of it. As a father, my heart breaks for my kids when they experience pain or stress or loneliness. And that brokenness, that is what God is trying to eradicate from the world. Revelation chapter 21 actually speaks of a time where, he will, where God says he will create a world, a new heaven and a new earth where there won't be a cause to cry or experience pain because the old order has passed away. And what he does is he enlists the help of Christians to try to create that, to try to pull out the old ugliness and injustice and introduce something new and better and, and, and pure and good. And it's a painful process. And we're on the road, but we're not there yet. So if you're struggling with happiness, I mean, it's not because you're not trusting God enough. It's because we live in a world where people are introducing things that, that make introduce pain and injustice and hurt all the time. All right. So here's where we are. We want to be happy. God deeply cares about our happiness. So easy, right? That should be a formula. We should just be happy. But then there's this intersection of happiness and trust in God. Sin is often committed in the pursuit of happiness. I might argue that sin is almost always committed in the pursuit of happiness. And we think that this thing will make us happy and we just have to march through a little sin to get there. And the problem is, is that sin that we commit introduces more brokenness in the world. We take advantage of someone else to achieve our own happiness, and we try to tear someone down to mitigate our own unhappiness. Sin promises happiness, but it cannot deliver it. Sin is a white, unmarked van with no windows and a creepy guy inside saying, there are free puppies in the back, you just have to climb inside. And God is standing off saying, do not get in that van. Do not look for happiness in that relationship. Do not search for happiness through more money. Do not seek happiness in satisfying lust. Do not pursue happiness through revenge. And we think, God, what are you doing? You're, you're stopping me from being happy. And God's saying, no, I'm trying to rescue you. Here's the thing. You can know you're being lied to when you're being told that the path to happiness goes through sin. This actually goes all the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Now, none of those things that she used to assess that decision were bad or wrong. Good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. Those are all good things. There's nothing wrong with those things, except for the fact that they were through the, the way to achieve those things was through this thing that God had said, do not do. Do not do that. And there are just so many Christians who have driven their lives right into the ditch because they thought, I just want to be happy. And if I have to commit this small sin to get there, well then, okay. Free puppies in the van. <laughs> okay. Any struggle at the intersection of sin and happiness will involve this question. Do I trust God for my happiness? So God cares deeply about our happiness, and he is trying to point us in the right direction whether or not we're listening. And we do live in a world that is full of pain, but it is in the process of being remade.
And so that's why I think this verse that we've been exploring is so valuable. When we're at that intersection, we're trying to map out our choices and figure out our decisions. We've got to be thinking about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So I pray that we as a church will pursue happiness through the means that God has given us. God has told us to to pursue it, to achieve what he's calling us to achieve. It's not bad to want happiness, but it's bad to walk away from God in order to find it because we never will. Let's pray and uh, and then we'll, uh, we'll continue to explore trust next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're so grateful. Um, We're grateful for your word. We're grateful for the fact that Proverbs gives us these shortcuts to learn deep eternal truths without having to have to go through those difficult experiences. But God, I know so many of us have made bad choices and we've experienced the pain and suffering that comes from trying to pursue happiness in ways that were contrary to your, your way or your will, Lord. I know you're trying to protect us. So I pray that protection over our church family. Lord, I pray for the decisions that people are making this week, that they will follow you that they will pursue you, that even though it's counterintuitive, they will seek after you and they will realize that it's in following you that we can find uh, satisfaction and happiness, Lord. And we know that it won't be perfect because we know that the world is broken, but we know that it's the right direction. We thank you for that. It's in Jesus.